Welcome back to the Warrior School Podcast. This is episode 158. 158, baby. Hi. Thanks for whacking me in your ears. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to be here. Today, we're going to talk about my top tips and tricks to help you lift more weight. Oh, yeah. We actually had a live teaching call inside of Warrior School this week on this very topic and it's a really cool topic we want to get stronger we want to feel great in our body we want to build muscle mass we want to lose fat mass we want to feel more capable resilient confident and one of the ways that we can achieve all of that is by lifting heavy weights lifting more weight so we're gonna dive into my five tips and tricks that I have for you that I'm gifting you I'm offering up to you to help you lift more weight welcome to the warrior school podcast the podcast for women who train I believe following a plan that works with your body and has a timeline of years is the future of women's training. I also believe women can train hard. We just need to learn how to do it in a respectful way. So Warrior, this is your go-to show for practical information on training, nutrition, hormones and performance. Myself and tons of experts will help you create a training strategy that works with your body and gets results. I am your teacher, Amy Bow, coach, dietitian, and the creator of Warrior School. Okay, Warrior Woman, let's do this. Right now, we are running a challenge inside of Warrior School the Warrior Queen Challenge. It is a 12-week challenge, 90 days, three months, and it is all about building confidence at the bar, stepping up to the barbell and strategically loading that baby with a weight that we never thought was possible for us to lift. And lifting the damn weight like a bad ass warrior. So actually a little story. I had done, you know, I had finished all the programming and shipped it out before the 9th of January to all of my warriors. And the the first day has squats in it. And it is, you know, the program says work up to an 8RM max for the day and then reduce the weight by 10% and do two more sets. So a lot of them did that first day on the Monday, on the 9th. And then when I was looking at their notes, their training notes in their training platform and their training page, uh, I was looking at their squat section and there was some funky stuff going on. I was like, what did they do here? Like they've written... 
lots of different numbers and it looked like they had done many different sets at different weights. And then I actually had a few calls that day and the day after. (laughs) And every warrior that I had a call with asked me, what do you mean by work up to an 8RM max? (laughs) And I realized that I didn't explain it properly. In my head, totally made sense. Yeah, I've been doing this for like 14 years. And when I wrote it down, like it made sense to me, but it didn't make sense to them because they had never done this They'd never had this approach in our training before. And so I jumped on and I recorded like a 10 minute video and I put it on Circle, which is our community platform, just to get really clear and clarify what the hell was going on with uh, the programming. So it wasn't just for the squats. uh, It was also for our RDLs. And then on their third day, they squat again. So I had done it you know, three times and not explained it well enough. Super cool learning for me. Uh, I'm normally really good at that stuff, but it was, yeah, it was a miss. And so what that means, you know, in their programming, it has three by eight back squats, four seconds lowering, two second pause. And I have written work up to an eight RM max for the day, Reduce by 10%, do two more sets. So what that means is that we need to warm up the movement. We need to work up to what our eight rep max would be for the day. We need to find essentially our eight rep max. Then we reduce it and we do some more work at the reduced load. Now, When we work up too, there's a bit of a strategy behind that, that will help us perform well, lift the most weight that we can lift on the day. Uh, And there are many other variables that will predict how much we can lift and how well we perform in that session, which we'll get into in today's podcast episode. But what we actually need to do is we need to prime the nervous system and warm up the pattern to be able to tolerate, perform with a heavy load on our back. So I'm going to use the back squat as an example. If they're, you know, in your programming, if, if I write, work up to an eight rep max for the day, What this means is that we need to do warm-up sets to get to the weight. Now, the weights that we use for our warm-up sets, it's very individualized. And so I'll use myself for an example. I know my weight that I whack on the bar as my first warm-up set every single time I go to squat. Now, that weight... I've just learned is such a great starting weight for me over time through practice. So for me, I step up to the bar and I've done some type of like prep work uh, before that. So right now my warriors are doing plyometric work. So we're doing some jumping work to get the body warm, to get the joints warm. And then they move into their back squats. 
So we do some type of prep work and then we, we start squatting. Now we need to work up to that heavy eight for the day. So for myself, I know that I just whack 25 pounds on each side of the bar. And that's my first warm up set. And then from there, my second jump generally is 45 pounds on the bar, which is 20 kilos on each side. So my second warm up set is around 60 kilos. And then my third is around 70 kilos, uh, which is 55s on each side. And then I will hit pretty much my next one, my fourth set will be what I'll probably hit for my eight rep max. Now, there's a couple of things that will predict what we put on the bar, where we are in our training journey. Uh, So for some of you, you might just start with the barbell. And then for others, it could be the bar plus five pounds each side or two and a half kilos each side. For others who have been lifting for a longer period of time, have a higher one uh, RM max, or you know can squat more weight, they will start higher on their warm up sets. Otherwise, we'll be doing a million warm up sets to get to our working weight, which uses a lot of energy. So where you start is determined by lots of different things. So. For your first starting weight, your first warm-up weight, I want you to find that, you know, whether you're squatting, you're deadlifting, you're pressing, is it the bar? Is it the bar plus five pounds each side or two and a half kilos each side or five kilos each side? That will be your first warm-up weight. Then you will pick a second warm-up weight. And now that might be, you might be able to jump up 10 pounds If it's a lower body movement, normally we can increase the weight uh, more than we can for our upper body. So the upper body generally takes smaller jumps, whereas our lower body, we tend to be able to tolerate uh, higher weight jumps in our warm-up sets, like 10 pounds or 15 pounds, um, depending on your experience, sometimes even 20 pounds, especially if it's a lighter weight uh, as you're warming up. So the the guidelines I give my warriors is that they should do around three warm-up sets to get to their working weight. So often their fourth set is their working weight, is their eight rep max for the day. There's another tip that I give them is that when we're warming up, we only use half the amount of reps that is prescribed on the program. So if I've prescribed eight rep max, and then you have to do two more sets of eight reps, I don't want you to warm up doing eight reps because then we add on three warm up sets of eight reps and that's a lot of volume. So we actually halve it. And that's just a really cool general rule is to halve the amount of reps that you do at, for your warm up set. So you'll do four reps, you'll do three warm up sets, and then by the time you get to the fourth, that should be the weight that you hit for your uh, reps for the day. You'll do your eight reps. Hopefully, that was like the right weight. You know, the last two were really hard. 
you know, the last one, you felt like you might not make it, but you did. And then you'll take 10% off and then do two remaining sets. So that's just a little bit of a story uh, and an example of what I mean when I say top tips and tricks to help you lift more weight. The strategy to enter the session or to do the movement is really important. Uh, And so we can do the same for a deadlift. If we're going for a three by eight rep max for the day, we also wanna pick a weight that's a good starting warm up weight for us, not too light, not too heavy. Uh, We wanna do around, you know, a minimum of two, a max of probably four, maybe five warm up sets, depending on how heavy you're going. Uh, and how the body feels on the day and the rep range that will also depict how many warm-up sets we do as well higher the reps we really want to conserve the energy so we really want to do less warm-up sets and then we would be working in fours for our deadlift as well and then once we get to what we think will be our eight we go to eights and we do our eight rm for the day So that's just something cool that came up in warrior school uh, last week. And now I'm going to share five tips with you, tips and tricks to help you lift more weight. Number one is energy. We need energy. (laughs) Energy is the foundation. It is the goal of all of this stuff. Without energy, it's really hard to perform. It's really hard to perform consistently, successfully, and sustainably over time. It's really hard to lift more weight and progress in our training if we don't have enough energy coming in to the body. So if you are having trouble with progressing your training, uh, with adding weight to the bar, one of the things that you need to look at is, am I getting enough energy into my body? We have energy to support our physiology, our health markers, our health And then we're training on top of this. So we need energy to support the training as well. And last week, I actually did a Warrior Words article, so a newsletter. And these are quite a long form email or newsletter that goes out to my email list. And this one was on energy availability. So I was asked a question around, can you train hard doing a sport like CrossFit and still be healthy? And so in this article, I was talking about energy availability and how if you're an active female who trains, uh, you know, multiple times a week, uh, who trains hard doing strength training or a sport like CrossFit, chances are that you're at risk for low energy availability and then the health consequences it brings or the training consequences that it brings, which is lack of progress in training uh, and it's really hard to lift heavy weights when you don't have enough energy. So I believe that we can train hard 
and that most women actually need to train harder properly in the right way and that we really need to lift heavy weights and if we're having trouble progressing often it's not really an exercise issue it's not really a training issue it's an energy issue So a lot of women come to me because they're really struggling to train consistently or they aren't seeing results uh, in their training. And one of the simplest, uh, but I'm going to say it's not always the easiest. Uh, I think it's often the hardest, but most successful strategies I provide them is to make sure they are eating enough food. Most of us are in a low energy state and we just don't eat enough to support our physiology let alone our training on top of this. So if we want to progress in our training, if we want to lift more weight, we've really got to make sure we're eating enough food. Now, energy availability is the amount of energy left over for body processes once the demand of exercise is accounted for. So it is based on the balance of energy intake and energy expenditure. And as energy expenditure increases, so, um, you know, our daily movement, our walking and our training, the energy available for other body processes decreases if that intake does not also increase. So low energy availability occurs when the calorie intake, so what we're eating, is insufficient to meet the energy required for daily living plus the demands of exercise. So a lot of women don't eat enough for daily living, then they're training on top of this. So what often happens is that maybe you can train and you can lift and you can run. And maybe at the start, you do actually start to see progress. You do see some results and you can pretty much complete your training sessions, at least for a while. But then you start to realize that, hey, actually, there's something going on. my body is actually pretty amazing and pretty complex and I'm starting to see maybe some signs that something's not quite right. And what we what happens is that we can train, maybe we can even complete our training sessions, maybe they even kind of feel good, maybe we kind of make progress, but our body doesn't have enough calories and nutrition left over to keep our body operating at optimal levels. And so this is where over time we start to see these signs and symptoms, because if we're going to train, the energy is going to go to that expenditure. It's going to go to the training. It has to. But then that means we're depleted or we're at a deficit to actually support the body from the physiological perspective, um, to keep it operating at an optimal level, like our baseline. It's kind of like When your phone goes into low battery mode, it still functions, but the screen goes dim. Some of the apps shut down. It's a little slower. It's just trying to conserve energy. So your organs, your physiology are like the apps. (laughs) And so often it's an energy problem. It's not an exercise problem. Although, yes, uh, you know, you could argue that within fitness culture, there is a lot of bad programming, uh, not training the right way or training properly. 
definitely comes into play, but often this not being able to lift heavier weights or progress in our training is because it's an energy problem. And so if you're super interested, if you're not on the email list and you're super interested in reading this article, I highly recommend that you reach out to me, send me an email, send me a DM uh, and ask for the article. It was actually really fun to write. I think it's a really informative piece on low energy availability. You know, how do you know if you might have it? What are the consequences of it? How do you start to get out of it? Uh, And I also talk about how you can eat enough. I'll actually do a full podcast episode on low energy availability. Uh, It's on my list to record. But that's my first tip. My top tip is making sure you're eating enough food. You're getting enough energy into the body. Number two is technique. And I really, really love this one. Uh, And we're going to spend quite a bit of time talking about this. So when I talk about technique, I'm talking about efficiency in the movement and range of motion. Uh, So There's this quote uh, by an old strength and conditioning coach. Um, I think his name was Lou. I can't remember his last name, but the quote is, it's not the load that breaks you down. It's the way you carry it. (laughs) And I really love that. And I love it because actually in our, in a group coaching call that we had last week inside of Warrior School, we were talking about this idea of strength under load. And I recorded a podcast with Beck Wilcock. And that was our theme for our podcast episode, strength is built under load. And one of the things we were talking about is how it's not the load that breaks you down, it's the way that you carry it or your inability to be able to carry and handle the load because you don't have the capacity because of you don't have energy. So it always links back into this energy piece. So when I talk about movement efficiency, it can be interchangeably, I guess, um, used with technique. So often movement efficiency is defined as technique. And technique, I believe, is it's, it's like a skill. It's an art. And this movement efficiency is the ability to understand and manipulate body position. So maintain balance and really execute our movements with intention, all while expending um, the most minimal amount of energy that we can. So in super simple words, uh, think of uh, running. So in the world of distance running, running economy or running efficiency is hugely important when it comes to running long distances um, for their performance. So if you have someone who doesn't have a strong running gait, who's not very efficient, they're going to use huge amounts of energy, which is going to affect their performance. So when we talk about movement efficiency or technique, there are three, I guess, main or primary and desirable outcomes that we really want or expect from efficiency. And this is improved performance, 
energy conservation and increased safety. So when we move with proper technique, when we're efficient in our movement patterns, we have improved performance, which can mean lifting heavier loads. We are conserving energy because remember, it's a hot commodity and (laughs) we want to conserve as much energy as possible. And we have increased safety. So we reduce our risk of injury. These three things are really what help us progress in our training over time. They're really what help us create a sustainable and successful training practice. So on top of having the ability to physically achieve more, you you achieve better results by both conserving your energy and maintaining technique or integrity in the body. And this is this is really cool. So You know, when I think about this, I think about Olympic weightlifting. And we can also talk about it from the squat and the deadlift perspective. But in Olympic weightlifting, you're taking a bar from the floor and you're putting it overhead. Very complex, very technical movement. And if you are not efficient in that, it's going to take a lot of energy. It's going to impact the lift. So potentially you're not going to make the lift or you're not going to be able to increase your weight in the lift. And it's also going to increase your risk of injury. This is why, you know, if you watch Olympic weightlifters, especially the Chinese, the Chinese are probably the best in the world for movement efficiency, for technique. It's uh, watching them is like this beautiful dance of grace and power and strength and beauty. It's where I have gotten a lot of my inspiration from, uh, from, you know, for my own practice and for the work that I do. You know, I really am a big believer in creating both in a practice that we want strength and beauty. We want power and grace. And for me, I truly don't believe that that can be achieved if you're just doing all your training on machines. You know, this is why I love the barbell and I think it's so beautiful to use her. So when we're doing Olympic weightlifting, you know, the bar starts over the top of the midfoot and we want really beautiful technique so we can be really efficient in that movement. And part of that is having great mobility, um, flexibility, you know, being practicing the movement pattern over and over again, uh, having the strength, having the stability. There's many aspects of movement efficiency, but, and also range of motion. So this is another one. Uh, In fact, one of the main impressions you will receive from watching a great athlete or dancer Uh, is that they make it look so amazingly easy. And I love that. So if you watch someone train or move and they just look effortless and graceful and it looks easy, you know that they have this movement efficiency or technique down. So the other thing I want to talk about is range of motion. And I'm going to put this into technique Because when I think about technique, I think about quality, I think about efficiency, I think about effort, 
And I think about range of motion being part of quality. So it's super well researched or well established that um, the manipulation of uh, variables in resistance training is an important factor in increasing strength and improving our uh, muscle mass. So having uh, positive adaptations in our muscle mass and strength gains. So when we talk about these variables, a lot in the research, we're talking about volume and load and frequency. But one variable that it hasn't received as much attention is range of motion. And so range of motion is the degree of movement that occurs at a given joint during exercise performance. So during a movement. So what I want to talk about is full range of motion versus partial range of motion. And there are a few studies that I will reference. So when we dive deep into the weeds here, remember that we're linking it back to tips and tricks to help you lift more weight. So this is about being able to put more weight on the bar lift heavier, progress in your training. So we have energy. The second one we're focusing on is technique or efficiency. And part of that is range of motion. I was actually asked a really cool question on a DM uh, the other day. And I'm actually just going to pull it up because I want to make sure that I am uh, paraphrasing it right. Okay, so there are a lot of biomechanics gurus out there learning and teaching, and this is in quotes, the best possible angle for growing XY muscle. How important do you think it is? Do you believe that old school strength training is superior to this? Hope it makes sense. Thank you. I really love that question, and we're going to dive into a uh, dive into that in this part of the the episode where we're going to talk about range of motion. Now, yeah, I totally agree. There are a lot of uh, biomechanists—that's what they're called—who study biomechanics, and essentially, biomechanics is really studying movement efficiency. How can we put the body in the best positions or best angles to gain the, the, the strongest outcome or to improve performance or to improve strength or to improve muscular adaptation. So it becomes, it can become super sciencey. And I had to do, oh, I forget how many semesters. It was many semesters of biomechanics in my undergrad degree where we're working out angles of joints and loads. And and we're not going to dive into that today. I'm not a specialist in that. Uh, It would actually be really cool for me to get one on the podcast to talk about that. So it's on my list. But you know me. You know me in numbers. You know me in science. I very much take an organic approach. I was taught by my coaches very organically. I can't say that we got rulers out or force plates or (laughs) any of that. Uh, 
uh, which, you know, this question, that's what she's asking. There are some super sciencey, nerdy biomechanists out there that create training programs based on joint angles and velocity, velocity and force. And what I would say and offer uh, to you around that is that there is health and then there is performance. So remember a lot of the time that we speak about how we have health. So health is the number one, you know, our health markers, the state of our physiology, eating for health. And then we have training for health. So training for uh, our foundation, training for great cardiovascular health, uh, mobility, joint health, strong bones, a strong body, you know, muscle mass. And then we have performance. And so you start to get into this world where it becomes uh, a lot more nuanced, a lot more intricate, uh, hyper-focused on data and variables and angles. And totally, you know, they want to, when you're performing, uh, you know, when you're competing, when you're an athlete, you want to do everything that you can to improve performance. But if you are a woman who wants to be stronger, wants to feel better in her body, exact joint angles don't matter. They don't matter. (laughs) What matters is that you consistently show up to your training practice. What matters is that you give your body enough energy. What matters is that you're on a proper training program designed by someone who knows what they're doing. You learn to train in the right way. You progress in your training. You start lifting heavier weights. That's what matters, not angles of joints. In saying that, let's talk about full range of motion versus partial range of motion. What often happens when a lot of women start working with me uh, and we slow the practice right down, I basically help them rebuild their body from the ground up. We start from scratch. One of the reasons why I do that is well, there are, there are a few, uh, but one of the main reasons is that they weren't taught how to train properly. And the amount of times I've had a woman say to me, why did no one teach me how to squat that way? Why did no one ever teach me how to lunge that way? Because we're just not taught properly. And I was taught from my coaches that one of the most important things is movement quality, so technique, and range of motion. So research has shown like time and time again that strength adaptations are specific to the joint angle that is trained. So there are loads of studies out there that are studying joint angles. So whether that's the knee or the hip or the elbow uh, and What these studies show is that strength adaptations are specific to the joint angle that we are training. So to improve strength throughout a joint's full range of motion, training must use a full range of motion. So there is quite a famous study, and this was done in 2000 by Weiss, And in the study, what they did is they recruited a bunch of people and then they split them into two groups. So one group trained with quarter squats for nine weeks. The other group trained with full range of motion squats for nine weeks. And at the end of the study, 
those who trained quarter squats only saw a significant improvements in their quarter squat strength and not their full squat strength. However, the group that trained using the full range of motion squats improved both their quarter squat and their full squat strength. So what the study suggested was that training using a full range of motion ultimately translates into greater improvements in functional strength. Now, you know, I've gone through and I've read all of these studies. And for those of you who have listened to the podcast for quite a while, um, I don't often reference a lot of research and a lot of studies. I have quite a lot of problems with them. Uh, There are so many variables when it comes to health, performance, strength, muscle mass, uh, and there is a lot wrong with uh, research studies, like quantitative research studies. A lot of the times they're not taking into consideration all of the variables that would impact our strength, our recovery. Uh, but you know, this study and a lot of the studies are rated as pretty, you know, their strength is, you know, medium to strong. And what that really means is when, you know, we do a research study, sometimes it can be really weak and have a lot of limitations, a lot of stuff wrong with it. Uh, other times, you know, they can, it can, they can be quite strong. So a lot of the studies around range of motion, they're actually quite strong. However, there are many variables that do come into play that they don't often talk about in the studies. But that study found that if you're training full range of motion, that's going to translate into improvements in other um, ranges within that pattern. Whereas if you're only training quarter, you're never building the strength, the neural development, the mobility, the stability in the rest of the range. So obviously (laughs) you wouldn't be able to improve your strength if you're not practicing the pattern. So I think while the effects of range of motion on muscle strength are quite clear, the research on muscle growth is a little more conflicting. And I'll go a little bit deeper into some of the studies. I just, I want to offer you up just a bit of a summary at the start. So there is quite a bit of research that looks at strength adaptations at joint angles. There's less research out there that's looking at range of motion and muscle growth. Um, And I think this is because an argument can be made for both. So on one hand, Some people suggest that using a full range of motion will promote greater stimulation of your muscle fibers, which will lead to greater muscle growth. However, there's another side that debates that using partial range of motion will allow you to lift heavier, which is known to contribute to greater muscle growth. Now, remember, they are just looking at muscle growth. What they are not looking at is the health of the joint, the health of the body, the mobility, the flexibility. So while yes, we might find greater muscle growth at partial range of motion or a certain joint angle, what about looking after the joint in full range of motion? Uh, And so I think that's quite interesting. 
And so what's the deal? Does range of motion really have an impact or not? Uh, so basically what the research suggests is that it does. It does have an impact uh, on muscle growth, but not on every muscle group. So there was another study done quite recently, actually, in 2020. And they were looking at full range of motion and partial range of motion. And they looked at both lower body and upper body. And what they found or their evidence suggested that using full range of motion with lower body exercises does indeed lead to greater muscle growth uh, of the legs. So this uses this means like using full range of motion for squats and deadlifts and lunges and knee extensions and hamstring curls. And they, they said that their research suggests that that's essential. But then what they found conversely is that using partial range of motion on the upper body exercises appears to have some effect as full range of motion when talking about muscle growth in the upper limbs. And so what they said was that when it comes to things like bench press, rows and arm isolation exercises, like arm accessory work, like triceps and biceps, using both full and partial range of motion for different exercises is going to offer the most benefit. And we're not going to get into the nuances of when we use full range or partial or long or short. But what they found is that it's really essential to do full range in the lower body. And then they we can still see improvements in uh, muscle growth if we do partial and full range in the upper body. All right, so let's just talk about, I thought we could talk about a few studies. Uh, I think it's quite interesting. And then we'll move through our um, third, fourth, and fifth tip and tricks. So in 2021, they did a review or a meta-analysis on the effects of range of motion on resistance training adaptation. So our, a review or a meta-analysis really means that what the researchers do is go into all of their research databases and they pull out all of the studies that are looking at range of motion on resistance training adaptations and they do a meta-analysis so meta just meaning many and then they analyze them to find out what all of these studies found so in this 2021 study, 16 studies were included in the review. Now, they probably looked through hundreds or like thousands of studies. But what, what they do is that we have a, um, there is like criteria that uh, they want the studies to meet. So if their studies don't meet the criteria, they chuck them out. And so 16 studies were added to this review. Full range of motion training produced significantly greater adaptations than partial range of motion on strength. This is what they found. So out of all of these 16 studies, looking at the effects of range of motion on resistance training, full range of motion training produced significantly greater adaptations than partial on muscle strength and lower limb hypertrophy. 
So hypertrophy means muscle mass gains. So what they concluded from their study was that full range of motion resistance training is more effective than partial range of motion to maximize muscle strength and lower limb muscle hypertrophy. They also said that functional performance appears to be favored by the use of full range of motion exercises and that there was no large differences between full and partial range of motion to generate changes in muscle architecture. And so what they were looking at was muscle thickness. Um, A 2020 study, which was also... I think this is also a systematic review. So this is also reviewing a bunch of studies. Uh, And they wanted to look at the effects of performing exercises with full versus partial range during dynamic uh, long-term resistance training programs on changes in muscle hypertrophy. So they wanted to, basically what they did was a longer-term resistance training program And they wanted to see if full versus partial produced more muscle mass gains. So based on the literature, they really aimed to draw some evidence-based recommendations for resistance training prescription. And they, I think there were six studies were identified as meeting the inclusion criteria. So only six And four of these were involved in resistance training for the lower limb, while the other two focused on the upper extremities. So the total combined, we call it sample size, you know, when we're talking about how many people were in the studies, they call it sample, was 135 people, uh, which was 127 were men and eight were women. All right. So they, this study went into the database, looked at a bunch of studies. They pulled out six. Four of those were looking at uh, resistance training, so strength training for the lower body, while two of those studies looked at strength training for the upper body. And out of those six studies, they were looking at 135 people. 127 were men, eight were women. And what did they find? So what they found based on the literature was that performing resistance training or strength training through full range of motion has more benefits on muscle hypertrophy of the lower body versus training with partial range of motion. So when we do full range squats, full range deadlifts, full range leg extensions, leg press, leg curls, lunges, when we do those through full range of motion, we will have greater strength gains and greater gains in muscle mass than partial range of motion. We will also have healthier joints (laughs) as well. There isn't a lot of research on the effects of range of motion for the upper limb. It's limited. It's a bit conflicting. And so they weren't able to draw like a strong conclusion that could be put into um, practical guidelines. And there is actually no study done on the influence of range of motion 
uh, on muscle growth of the trunk. So the torso, the trunk. So you want to train full range of motion. So when women come into warrior school, the reason why we slow it way down and we do a lot of body weight strength training is to learn how to do it with quality and access full range of motion over time. So what we do is we work on mobility and flexibility of the muscles, the joints, the tendons and the ligaments alongside developing the movement pattern and slowly over time improving and increasing the range of motion of that pattern, which will then allow them to lift more efficiently, lift more safely, conserve more energy and get stronger so they can add more weight onto the bar. So if you're finding yourself really struggling to lift heavier weights, uh, to progress in your training, I invite you to look at your range of motion, the quality of the pattern. Now, this can hit the ego a little hard. So for a lot of my warriors uh, last week when they started the challenge, they their egos took a little bit of a hit because the prescription was quite challenging. So three by eight with a four second lowering and a two second pause. Now, a lot of them have been with me for over a year. They've built a really strong foundation. We've done a lot of bodyweight strength training. They have the range there. They have the technique. They have the quality. But what happened was that when we make it harder by, you know, increasing the rep range or playing around with the tempo or even adding more load, what they know is that they got to come back to their checklist of, do I still have my technique? Can I still control the movement pattern? Is there quality? And am I going full range of motion? Now, for a lot of women, they had to reduce the weight that they were used to lifting at lower rep ranges. So previously, we were doing a lot of twos, threes, but they hadn't done a lot of eights. And so... We actually have to lower the weight so we can keep the technique, we can keep the quality, and we can keep the range of motion. And even though it's a lower weight, hitting all of those things or those variables or those targets helps us get stronger. And this is why I believe bodyweight strength training is the foundation of every other training practice, because you come back and you learn how to control your own body. You slow everything way down. You learn how to access full range of motion, of movements, uh, which means that you can then recruit more muscles and over time lift heavier loads. Okay, so the third tip or trick is tension. Tension, tension, tension. Or we could also call it irradiation. And I like that word, irradiation. <laughs> when we talk about tension, uh, there's a couple of different ways that we can look at it. We can look at time under tension. So time under tension is the total amount of time a muscle or muscle group is activated during a set. And increasing time under tension can be a way to promote muscle growth and to improve strength. So for my women, 
right from the start, even with bodyweight strength training, we do a lot of time under tension because that promotes stability, control, quality, which then will promote strength and muscle growth. So when we talk about tension, are you spending time under tension in your movement patterns, in your lifts? So say you're stuck at a certain weight and you can't progress, you can't lift heavier. Instead of looking at trying to increase the weight, we can look at reducing the weight and putting ourselves under tension for longer periods of time. So this is where tempo work comes in. So the example I just gave you with my women, we're doing a three by eight, but it's not a three by eight up and down. It's eight reps with a four second lowering and a two second pause in the bottom. So that is a lot of time under tension over eight reps. And even though they're not lifting as much weight as they would if they were only squatting three reps or four reps, they're spending that time under tension, which will promote greater strength and muscle growth. If they just keep staying at a weight, we can stagnate and actually not progress. And we can be stuck at that weight for a really long time. So there's many other ways that we can change the programming, the approach to the exercise. And I'll share a little bit more of those when we come to the tools section that will help us lift more weights. Now, this idea of irradiation, it comes from uh, Sherrington's law of irradiation. And it states that a muscle working hard recruits the neighboring muscles. And if they are already part of the action, it amplifies their strength. The neural impulses emitted by the contracting muscle reach other muscles and turn them on as an electric current starts a motor. And so what that means is when we're creating tension within the body, so irradiating the body. Okay, we're going to go through an example because... I think doing this uh, shows you what irradiation feels like or what we mean. So I want you to stand up and I want you to make a fist as hard as you possibly can. So go ahead, make a fist and squeeze as hard as you possibly can. Squeeze that fist. Okay, what did you feel? If you truly squeezed your hands the hardest that you possibly could, you probably felt all of the muscles of your arm engage. So not just your forearm, but all of your muscles. So from the fist to the forearm, to the bicep, the tricep, to the shoulder. Yet all I told you to do was to make a fist and squeeze as hard as you could. So why did that happen? It's not a magic trick. (laughs) Uh, It's science. And specifically, it's called the principle of irradiation. Which another doctor, um, I think his name is Roger Anoka, Anoka, if I believe from my reading when I was reading about this, 
He defines it as the spread of muscle activation uh, that creates this postural stability and enables the transfer of power across joints uh, by two joint muscles, which is super cool. So in simple terms, making a fist sends a signal to all of the surrounding muscles to activate. So simply by flexing your fingers into a depth grip, your biceps, your triceps, your pecs, so your chest muscles, your lats, which is the big muscle under your armpit, and even the tiny muscles of your shoulder are all cued to engage together. So when it comes to lifting more weight, the ability to be able to irradiate is really important. So to create tension and have the muscles around what we're trying to work on also helps support. So let's go through in a couple of examples. So a lot of the warriors are squatting right now. The way that we can create a radiation is by how we actually hold the bar. So they're doing back squats. Now we could just put the bar on our back, step out of the rack and squat down. But we have not created any tension in the body. Therefore, under load, uh, when we get tired, we can have a breakdown. The movement pattern becomes very inefficient and potentially we could injure ourselves. When we learn how to create tension or irradiate, that will help create stability and it does help us improve our strength, lift more weight, which will promote muscle growth. So I want you to imagine that your barbell is in the rack and then you go under to place the barbell on your back for a back squat. Now, the bar shouldn't be sitting on your spine, on your vertebrae. It should actually be sitting on the soft muscles at the top of your scapula. So you'll notice that there is like a shelf that gets created with the muscles. That's where it needs to sit. Now, to help us create irradiation, we want to have our hands as close to our shoulders as possible. So someone's grip on their bar will be determined by their shoulder mobility. So if you can't bring your hands in really close, one, potentially you're just not aware that that is a great thing to do. Two, maybe you don't have the shoulder mobility to do it. So we wanna bring our hands in as close as we possibly can. Now, if you're at home and you have access to a bar, maybe do it while I talk you through it. Or if you have access to a broomstick or a I don't know, maybe you're listening to me right now and you're mopping the floor. You can use the mop. So place it on your back. Find the shelf of your muscles for your bar to sit on. Put your hands as close together as you can, as close to your shoulders. Now what I want you to do is I want you to pull the bar down onto your back. So think about drawing your armpits to your back pockets. Imagine you have jeans on and you have back pockets. So I want you to pull the bar down and draw your armpits to your back pockets. I want you to be squeezing your shoulder blades together and pulling that bar onto you. Can you feel it tighten up? Can you feel the tension created? Now there is irradiation happening. There are other muscles that are helping us do that. 
We can do the same thing when we're going to lift a bar off the floor. So for a deadlift, we set ourselves up. And what we're doing by drawing armpits down into back pockets, crown of the head to the ceiling, and then we want to imagine that the bar is loaded with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kilos. And we know that we're not going to be able to lift it, but we're going to try. That max effort of trying, that's irradiation because there's many muscles that have to engage in order to try and lift the bar off the ground. It's actually a really cool exercise to load a barbell up with way more weight that you could ever lift, that you know that it's not going to move off the floor, to practice this concept of irradiation, of learning how to create tension in the body. It's really important because we don't want to be a noodle when we lift. Also, what helps us is breathing and bracing. So learning to breathe and brace properly helps create radiational tension in the body. Uh, pushing through the floor uh, also helps us create radiation and tension. So what a really cool exercise to do is, is before you start lifting is to squeeze your fist. And to remind the body that that is irradiation, that is tension. And we want to create that when we go to lift heavy loads. That will help us lift more weight. Okay, the next T, the next T, number four, we have two more, tools, okay? So tools can be equipment. Uh, and I'm also just going to give you some other tools like tips and tricks that we can do to help us lift more weight. So we have access to equipment or certain tools that can definitely help us lift more weight. So the first one that we can talk about are straps. So straps are pieces of fabric that go around your wrist that can wrap around a bar and that can help your grip can help you hold on to that barbell. Now, I have a couple of different thoughts on this. So grip strength is very important. It's actually, there's some really cool studies how it's correlated to longevity and health. And I don't know if you've noticed this, that on the days where you're actually quite tired, you haven't recovered or you haven't slept well, that your grip strength is quite affected. Uh, so your grip is really important. Now, all of the women that come into warrior school, they hang. They hang on the bar. And this does a couple of things. Hanging develops grip strength, which will then carry over to their lifting of weights. So when they start deadlifting or doing RDLs or holding dumbbells, often the weakest link will be our grip. So they hang to start developing grip strength. They also hang for shoulder health, uh, for spine health, to develop their overhead range and because it's the base of every pulling movement. So many women that I work with have a goal to do a pull-up. Hanging sits at the base of a pull-up. But I want to focus on grip strength. So I think hanging is essential to develop grip strength over time. And I actually don't let my warriors use straps until they get to certain standards on their grip strength. So some of them are using straps during this challenge because I, the main focus of the challenge is to lift heavy loads, to lift heavy weights. But in their training, you know, 
most of the time they don't use straps. They hang to develop grip strength. So that's where I would start. If you feel like your grip is letting you down, of course, keep lifting uh, and it will improve over time. But I would recommend adding hanging into your practice because hanging really helps develop your grip. What you should be able to do is three to five sets of a 60 second unassisted hang. That's pretty, you know, pretty good foundational grip strength. And then from there, of course, we can go into more complex hanging, single arm hanging. But start with hanging on a bar. Now we can use straps. So for my warriors doing this challenge, they've got a three by eight RDL. And so eight reps, it's a lot of reps to hold onto a really heavy bar. Of course, chalk can help. Different grips, so underhand grip, hook grip. Uh, we can play with the grip on the bar, that can help. But essentially, I want them to lift as much load as possible. So I've invited them all to use straps. Straps pretty much just strap you on and they take some of the load out of the grip and it will just allow you to build more endurance and some more strength in the lift. So straps are a tool that you can use. Now, often you're using them when you're doing a deadlift or an RDL, uh, a pull off the floor. You can use them when you're doing high rep uh, lunges or split squats or dumbbell rows, anything that you have to hold onto the dumbbell or the bar for a long period of time. And if your grip strength is the weakest link, well, that's going to stop you first. And often what happens in the RDL, there is, um, it will be the grip that's the weakest. Then the second thing will be our spinal strength. So our strength to be able to maintain the torso and spinal position. And then the third limiting factor will actually be our legs or our hamstring or our glute strength. So if we really want to be able to lift more load, we need to be developing our grip strength or we need to take it out of the equation by using straps. Then the spine could be the limiting factor because we want a strong spinal position. Uh, and so that's what we might have to work um, at. And then once we've strengthened the spine up and we've taken the grip out of uh, the equation, we can really load the bar to work the hammies and work the glutes. So straps is your number one. Number one on the tools list. The second one are belts. Now, I'm actually not going to get into great detail about belts. I did pull up um, some research studies around belts and if they really help you lift more weight. Uh, and there is some research uh, saying that they help improve intra-abdominal pressure, uh, which can then therefore um, help you breathe and brace uh, which can potentially help you lift more weight. So some research does say it does help increase that intra-abdominal pressure. Uh, and what it does is wearing a belt um, can correctly and actively give the body some type of language of what it feels like to push out with your core against the belt. And we create this pressure system in the core that helps keep the spine stable and safe. Um, but I don't wear a belt. 
Uh, I wasn't taught or didn't do it a lot with my coaches when I was Olympic weightlifting. You will notice that they are really big in powerlifting and Olympic weightlifting. Uh, Also, if you go to a commercial gym, you'll notice that many males just like to walk around with belts on (laughs) all of the time. And I just want to make it clear that lifting should be done without a belt as well. It's kind of like the grip situation. You know, you've got this tool that I'm not going to argue does not help. It totally helps. Um, It helps with the pressure, can help keep the spine stable, which potentially can help you lift more weight when used correctly. But we don't want to always be using straps because then we're never really going to develop strong grip. We don't want to always be using a belt because then we never really develop the language in the body to be able to breathe and brace and create intra-abdominal pressure without that belt there. The studies have also shown that belts cannot prevent back injuries. (laughs) A belt is not a brace and it's not, its purpose is not to support your back. It's to help you create that intra-abdominal pressure. Belts also don't fix your lifting form, okay? You don't just whack on a belt and then all of a sudden you lift better. We've got to learn the form and the technique first. We've got to learn the breathing and the bracing first. Then we can use it as a tool to enhance performance or when we get to a certain weight, that's when it can really help us. And belts cannot replace your core strength and mechanics, okay? So your core, your abs, all of that, it's not just abs, but all of that mid-trunk section is designed to be stable, to stabilize. So a belt does not replace core strength. We don't just whack it on because we're weak in the core. We need to actually develop proper core strength and back strength first, And then we can use the belt as a tool. Then we've got things like knee sleeves. Again, I've never knew, I have never used knee sleeves. A lot of powerlifters use knee sleeves um, and some Olympic weightlifters do use them. But again, we want to work on our knee health and our full range of motion um, in our squat. And we wanna build the muscles around our knees. We want healthy knees. We don't wanna whack on the knee sleeves every time we squat to make our knees feel stronger or more stable. We wanna do that work first, and then we can use the tool or the knee sleeve to enhance performance potentially. And it could help us lift more weight. With tools, I also want to chuck in that there are loads of things that we can do with the programming. So we can change the accessory work. We can change the way that we program. Uh, So for example, if we feel stuck on the squat and we're not progressing, we can do time under tension work. So tempo work. Uh, We can do a lot of um, leg strength accessory work. So leg extensions, hamstring curls, lunges, split squats to build up the leg strength to help us improve the strength of the movement pattern of the squat. Uh, You know, one of the coolest secrets that my coach taught me when it comes to single leg strength work is to rest 30 seconds between your sides. That's going to help you lift more weight. Uh, That's just a little secret, a side note secret for you. 
Okay, last one, number five, time. <laughs> it takes years to get strong and create big, long-lasting changes to your body composition and to be able to add weight to the bar in a healthy and sustainable way, not weeks or months, years. So when we often start lifting, we have like beginner gains um, and we can there's like this curve and I'm not sure if you've seen it but you know when we start something new we're a beginner uh, often we'll have this very sharp rise in progress in results and then it will taper off the deeper we get into the practice the stronger we get uh, the harder really it is to see gains or see results so often when you start your training practice you are going to see results quite quickly. You know, you might progress actually in your weights quite quickly. And then you'll get to this point where progress slows and it starts to feel really hard. And hopefully the tips that we spoke through today will help you. But time, it takes time. It takes years, years. I would probably argue a good 10 years to get really strong. It's taken me, you know, what you see me do today is 12 years in the making, 12 years of a consistent, solid training practice, 12 years of training a lot and training really hard. And so now when I want to increase my weights or progress, I, it's damn hard. I have to fight for every little bit of weight increase. And there is a story around an Olympic weightlifter, he's Chinese, one of the best in the world. And for the snatch, which is the one where you go from the ground overhead, it took him four years to add a kilo onto his snatch, one kilo, one kilo, four years. That's because he was at the top. He had been doing it for decades and to squeeze out such a tiny little gain took a really long time, a lot of work and a lot of effort. So you just need to give yourself time. You know, if you want to get stronger, you want to lift more weight, initially you're probably going to be able to get those beginner gains. And then over time, we have to be a little bit smarter, a little bit more clever. We have to use these tips and tricks or tools. Uh, and we also just have to be patient that it's going to take a little bit longer to progress and go up in weight the deeper that we get into the practice. Okay, warrior, those were my five tips and tricks to help you lift more weight. That's it. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you. Uh, if you have any questions, reach out to me. Okay, bye for now. Warrior Woman, thanks so much for listening to this episode. If you haven't, please give the podcast some love by subscribing now. And if you enjoyed this episode, please rate it and share it with another Warrior Woman. Also, if you want to go crazy, I'd love if you wrote a review for the Warrior School podcast. And also share and tag me with your biggest takeaways for the episode on the gram. 
Okay, Warrior Woman, have a great week in training. Bye for now.